0: When this story broke it stretched the imagination. A 12 foot a green monster with red glowing eyes had been seen on a mountain top one of the kids looked up and he said, what on earth is, that? On earth is that? A pear-shaped, glowing red object, which was pulsing. pulsing, And one of the younger kids said, a flying saucer was landed. Whilst a creature or a thing or an object, about the size of a very heavyset man, but obviously contained in some kind of suit. So we start the program going back to the year that this happened. happened. At 7.15 p.m. on September 12th, 1952, in Flatwoods, West Virginia, two brothers, Edward and Fred May, were playing outside with their friend Tommy Heyer. It was a characteristically southern, late summer evening that night, warm and accompanied by loud choruses of crickets, frogs, and cicadas to fill the night air with their songs. It was certainly beginning to get pretty dark, even getting closer to dusk, that special time of night when there's still a little bit of sunlight in the sky, but not enough to keep the brightness of the stars from showing up. As the boys played... Suddenly, an oval-shaped ball of fire roared across the night sky. The racing minds immediately thought it was a flying saucer. They watched as it descended, following the trail of flames as it appeared to land or crash on a nearby local farm. The boys raced home and frantically explained what they had just seen to their mother Kathleen May, who was immediately intrigued. She then recruited their National Guardsman neighbor, Eugene Lemon, to accompany her and the boys to the farm where this potential crash site would be. They were joined by two more local children, Neil Nunley and Ronnie Shaver, and Eugene Lemon's dog. Armed with flashlights, excitement, and a sprinkle of fear, the group headed out quickly to discover what exactly it was that had crashed. One of the first things they noticed as they approached the farm was the smell. They later described it as sulfur-like, a pungent mist that caused them to feel nauseated almost instantly. A strange mist began to rise up all around them as they made their way closer to where they calculated the crash site to be. As the group reached the top of a hill... A pulsing red light illuminated the late evening mist, and a metallic whirring sound filled the air. Eugene Lemon's dog ran away in fear into the mist that had now surrounded them. Lemon and the others ran after the dog, where they found it barking near a wooden fence. Although they wanted to keep moving forward, the dog refused to take another step. As they pushed forward anyway, the smell, odor, and noise became stronger and stronger. Suddenly, Lemon noticed a pair of eyes staring at him from the dark. He threw his flashlight onto the spot where he assumed he would see a possum. Instead, what they saw in the shadows of that farm would haunt them forever. He later described the being I aimed my flashlight in that direction and in that moment saw this tall, man-like figure with a round, red face that was surrounded by a pointed, hood-like shape. Hood-like shape. Kathleen May said in her description Well, when Jean's flashlight hit it it lit up like a Christmas tree. We all noticed it All at the same time, it wasn't in any bushes. It was right there, out in the open. Out in the roadway, the whole thing lit up instantly. It had small, claw-like hands, clothing-like folds, and and a head that resembled the ace of spades. It was a hideous sight, and I wish I had not seen it. Staring at them from within the darkness of the woods was the Flatwoods monster. The witnesses all described the giant 10 to 12 foot tall, terrifying creature with a blood red face and a green body that seemed to glow and had on what appeared to be a dark metal dress. Its hands were twisted and clawed and what seemed to be its eyes glowed an eerie orange color he began to make a loud hissing sound and started to glide toward the companions. Lemon screamed in terror and clumsily dropped his flashlight, his hands and body no doubt shaking with such fear causing the rest of the group to panic and to run away as fast as they could muster. Before they could make their escape, however, the creature glided fast toward Kathleen and covered her in a strange oily substance scared to death the group ran down the hill back into town collecting their wits and attempting to stay calm they immediately called the Braxton County Sheriff they explained the strange encounter even separately drawing sketches of what they had just seen all the drawings were eerily similar the sheriff was not at his station however because he had already been called out to investigate what another citizen reported as being a plane crash. When the sheriff and his deputy eventually arrived on the scene, there was no evidence of the creature. The mist was gone. There was no strange noise. National Guardsmen who were dispatched immediately to investigate that same crash... Later, reported finding evidence of large parallel skid marks, track marks in the grass, an oily residue, and a rubber like substance accompanied by a lingering strange odor. The witnesses reported that over the next several days, they were overcome with sickness, symptoms such as swelling of the nose and throat, vomiting, and convulsions that lasted several weeks. Many believers think this sickness might have been related to inhaling the strange mist. Several other locals would later report having seen the strange aircraft, separately from May and Lemon's group. And many people who claim to come in contact with the strange creature as well. What was it these folks saw that night? Was it simply a meteor that crashed on a farm, accompanied by an angry owl perched on a tree that spooked this small group of townspeople? Or was it a strange alien creature in a metallic suit trying to communicate? Was it a robotic organism standing guard to protect its crashed ship and perhaps any other passengers within it? Perhaps we will never really know. That is, unless on a late autumn evening, just when the sun is dipped below the horizon, you happen to see a ball of flame crackle overhead and crash nearby. And you decide to go investigate for yourself. Welcome back, all you humans and space invaders, to your favorite podcast, That Would Be Rad, a podcast that majors in 80s and 90s nostalgia, comic culture, all things paranormal, and minors in retro video games, tabletop RPGs, pre-internet mysteries, and raising our kids to be half as cool as we were back in the 80s. We are your hosts, Woody Brown. And Tyler Bentz. Boy, howdy, brother. What did you
1: think about that? Well, first off, this is one of my... All time favorite entity uh, or sightings or whatever, if you will, uh, it's just such an amazing like when you think of like the term high strangeness. Uh, for maybe all the new listeners who don't know what that is, uh, high strangeness is sort of the the idea of of these things that's that are even more weird. You know, they it, it's not just a UFO. I mean, mm-hmm. the thing had like a a dress that basically looked like a like the afterburner you know on a jet and it had like a a spade typed hood like metallic hood and like it's just really bizarre so like to me this is like the perfect example of high strangeness
0: yeah you know it's i'm glad you brought up high strangeness because whenever you first started getting me into this stuff that was just a term that i kept on hearing on multiple podcasts and i just never really knew what that was Mm -hmm. and i was always kind of like well i don't want to be the Hey man, who brought this guy? You know and be like, "Hey man, what's high strangeness?" Yeah. You know, and so like it's a term that you'll hear on multiple shows that kind of cover this type of stuff mm-hmm. and and you know, just like you said, it's it's it it's like all this stuff is you know, whether it's paranormal or cryptid creatures or whatever, all of it's kind of strange enough, quote unquote strange, you know? Mm-hmm. High strangeness is taking it to that next level. It's like if you know, Bigfoot is kind of just a strange tale in and of itself. But if Bigfoot was like flying a UFO Mm -hmm. to, you know, above Los Angeles or something, then then it's like, oh, man, eh, that's next level, that is high strangeness. So when you hear us talk about that, that's what that is. Now you guys can kind of, you know, feel a little bit more educated today because you know what high strangeness, or as we call it on our show, rad strangeness mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh is yeah absolutely i mean there's there are i mean there's just so many elements to this story that it's funny this all the reason why we decided to do this the flatwoods monster this week is because you text me a picture of this like really really cool i don't know like pin mm-hmm. um that had the flatwoods monster on it and i was like man i know you've told me about this before but what is it and you kind of just barely described it mm-hmm. and i just looked it up and i thought oh my gosh we have to talk about this it's got all of the elements that i well no i mean it's got a lot of the elements of stories that i love which is there's a group of friends or family involved it's dark in the woods it kind of reminds me again of that scene that we talked about last in last week's mm-hmm. episode that famous sort of just 80s scene where you're in the woods oh, yeah. there's a mist there's bright lights and there's just something like really kind of terrific about this uh this story and, and you know what's super intriguing about it too is it occurred in that special time the the 50s whenever I was a kid the 50s I thought were like super cool you know you had like the and I think a lot of it has to do with the outsiders oh both yeah. the movie and the book mm-hmm. but like I was super into like the greasers and, like, that culture and, like, just the 1950s in general and just thinking about how simple sort of America is, right, Mm -hmm. at that time. And then you've got this, like, almost explosion of activity that occurs kind of surrounding UFOs. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got, like, the Roswell stuff. 1947. Right. And then that leads into... So we're still in, like, the early 50s here. It's 1952. Mm -hmm. Since 47, there've been... You know, more and more sightings, people kind of talking about it. Um, And, you know, interesting. One thing that kind of, I don't know, made me want to go visit West Virginia is isn't that isn't Flatwoods, West Virginia, pretty close to where like Mothman
1: happened? Yeah, Point Pleasant, where the Mothman sort of uh, flap
0: was, if you will. It's hold on. You got to explain what the heck a flap means, because I remember the first time you used that (laughs) word, I'm like, I don't understand what you said. Well, I
1: think we did it, I think I explained on an early episode, but again, for all you new readers, new listeners, a flap is basically a a sort of a a limited sort of window of time where there's just a bunch of sightings, uh, a bunch of reports kind of come in, so, you know, it's like, Well, for example, this is the perfect thing, and I don't know if you read this in your research, but oddly enough, in 1952, uh, it's affectionately called the Summer of Saucers. And it was, it's the, I think still, the most consistent and the most like heavy, heavy amount of reports of these flying saucers uh, in American history ever in 1952. So it's cool that like, you know, this kind of falls in there. And then, you know, so that would be a flap in 1952 or, or the, the summer, I guess. This was in
0: September. So it's like a concentration of activity right. within a certain, like, time period. Right. Like,
1: and okay. and with, um, you know, again, we'll do a real deep dive on Mothman because he's, you know, he's one of the, the heavy hitters as far as, like, the cryptids. Um, mm-hmm. He, you know, that was a flap of, I think, a week or two weeks maybe where people started seeing him. You know, some kids were like chased by this Mothman creature, and then the Silver Bridge collapse happened. And you know, there's a there's a ton that goes to, with that story. But anyway, yeah, this flap happened, and Point Pleasant is about 125
0: miles away. So basically, yeah, two hours down the road. I mean, I think there's like a a uh, like a, a time gap between them because at first when I when I first started thinking about it, I thought, well, I know like the description of of Flatwoods. And Mothman aren't really that close in terms of uh, characteristics mm-hmm. and stuff. But it just this is something that just reminded me of it, that, you know, with, like, the glowing eyes. Oh, and, yeah. You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, it, um, yeah and Mothman happened in, uh, in 1966, so. Yeah. Uh, you know, one thing right out of the gate when I was learning about this story and stuff, I mean, I just, one of the things that just really popped out to me was, like, how cool was Kathleen May, the mom, Oh, right? yeah, dude. Like, her kids come running in immediately. She's just like, grab your flashlights. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get this, you know, their neighbor, Eugene Lemon, uh, I think he was like, like, I know that he was in the National Guard, but, I, when and, you know, nowadays when you think of someone in the National Guard, you're like, oh, okay, cool, like some 30-year-old. No, 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 this kid was like 19. Right. So he's like fresh, yeah. you know? Uh, and he grabs a flashlight and his dog... And they just go out there. Mm-hmm. You know, she wasn't like, oh, you kids are crazy. Come in and eat your supper. Mm-hmm. You know, she was like, yep, let's go. Yeah. And I just thought like, you know, she, I just pictured this lady. She's, she's, you know, in West Virginia. She's in the South and in, in the early fifties, mm-hmm. single mother, man. She, you know, she's, uh, she's just. Seems like a tough lady, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was really cool. Yeah. And and also,
1: again, I think this this goes with, you know, this goes along well with the, the Summer of Saucers in 52. Mm-hmm. The idea that, you know, there's a theory. A lot of people believe that, well, let me say this. First, just within that 24 hours of that day, there were 21 reports, you know, the, the police were contacted, the newspaper, 21 reports of either people seeing what they believed were you know, a meteor was falling. Uh, Some people thought they saw a plane crashing. Mm -hmm. Other people saw, one person saw like a red, what looked like a red glowing bouncing ball in the sky. And uh, so Mm -hmm. there's, Mm -hmm. there's an idea that whatever this thing was, it was shot down by our military. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what you saw. You saw the thing, it was shot out of the sky, it crashed. And then, you know, this little hodgepodge group of people went to go check it out. And then, you know what they found was pretty terrifying,
0: and I mean that—that's something that's, you know, super fascinating to me too. That all of these witness accounts mm-hmm. didn't just happen in West Virginia. You know, it—it it kind of like follows a tra- trajectory mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in other states and stuff. Almost like you could, if you look it up, um, hey, Tyler's making jello over there. <laughs> just so drank a sip of a water. Up, <laughs> if you look it up you know, it's almost like a flight path. Yeah. A flight path. Flight path. Flight path. I just said flight path. Sylvia Plath. Old Sylvia. Which is really fascinating, too. So it's not just concentrated in this small town. And, you know, if if you're kind of on the skeptic side of things, you're thinking, well, you know, these people could have just concocted this story Mm -hmm. and all this. It is another example of these folks had an actual encounter Mm -hmm. they saw something and then separate from them other sides of town other states other whatever things were seen
1: yeah all the the way up to like maryland and i ran across an account that happened the following night
0: that is fascinating did you read that i I think so but go ahead Uh, yeah, I mean, tell us about this other encounter. And I almost added it into the, truthfully, I almost added it into the thing because it's also terrifying. Oh, yeah. To me, this is almost even more scary just
1: because it's, yeah. it's uh, you know, you don't have like a huge group and three dogs and all this stuff. Right. Uh, but basically a guy named George and a guy and his wife, uh, George and Edith Snetowski, uh and their 18-month-old son, they're driving along, uh, and I, th- this is about 20 uh, yeah, I remember. It's not in Flatwoods. It's actually like... Yeah, it's like, um, it's like 20 miles away. Yeah, near Strange Creek. So basically they're driving, and mysteriously their car just totally quits. And, you know, 1952, super rural area, and, um, you know, your car... street streetlights. Yeah, your car just goes lights. dead, which is pretty scary. Mm-hmm. So uh, George gets out, pops the hood. You know, he's, he's trying to see what's going on, he, all of a sudden, like a mist or like a fog kind of rolls through. Uh, The baby starts crying. You know, it's that same sort of noxious mustard gas kind of thing. George looks over and sees this bright light, you know, up in the, the, like kind of up over in the trees that's about 10 foot tall. And then he realizes that this, what they're seeing is this glowing, these glowing eyes, and it's this ten foot tall creature, sort of hovering towards him. Freaks out. He jumps in the car. But what was interesting about this case, this story,
0: is we will return after these messages. America's future can be determined by our dreams and our visions. It was very intense, broad line. For over 200 years, there have been reports of giant man-like creatures.
1: From another dimension, another world,
0: I don't know. The most intriguing mystery on the North American continent. You were listening to That Would Be
1: red Number one, there was no corro- corroborate, corro- corroboration between this account and then what the other group saw the day right. before which is fascinating they don't even
0: live in the, they don't even live in the same town Not as even the these same people.
1: Town. but what's it really interesting especially if you look at it through the lens of like okay well maybe this thing was shot down and it's its craft has just crashed and it's you know kind of defending defending itself really you know mm-hmm. maybe the thing's 10 foot tall it doesn't have the metallic like helmet on. They said it looked like a reptile thing. It had three fingers. Uh, so as it followed him, as he jumped into the car, it put its hand his its hand on the hood of his car and it melted all the way through like the primer, the paint of like the Jeez. hood of his car. Uh, it wasn't wearing the, the spade type helmet thing, but it mm-hmm. did still have that sort of like jet engine. Well, like dress? Thing. Yeah, it's like the dress thing, but what would it be called on a jet? Why can I not think of it?
0: Uh yeah, I mean I don't know, exhaust. Yeah, it's kinda like the exhaust um, like tube almost. Like picture the bottom of like the old school space shuttle. Yeah, right. The 80s space shuttle, mm-hmm. right? And that big like cone sort of yeah. shaped exhaust of the of the of the rocket. Yeah. Uh
1: so yeah, so this thing comes out, they all jump in the car, the baby's crying, they're both coughing and feeling, you know, nauseated and stuff from this mist that that is a, a real sort of common thread with both accounts, comes out, drags its hand across the hood, melts the paint, uh, and then just kind of like sort of, you know, kind of hovers off back into the woods on the other side of the road. And then as soon as they, as soon as it's gone, as soon as it's sort of out of sight, (laughs) oddly enough, their car cranks right back up, and then they drive off, which is just, it's really amazing. Yeah, man. Yeah, and I love the idea. I don't know, there's something about the idea that, you know, the day before they there's sort of all these sort of hypotheses about, oh, maybe it was like a robot. Maybe it was this. Maybe it was that. But then, like, you know, because it had sort of this helmet on with these sort of glowing eyes. But then the next day, they see this thing, and it's sort of this reptilian-type, really bony uh, creature with, I think, three fingers. And it doesn't have its helmet on and all that stuff. It's just, it's it's pretty amazing. It's like it took its armor off or something, you
0: know? Yeah, man. I mean... Now, aside from those two sort of like visual encounters, mm-hmm. did anybody else encounter the creature? I, I didn't see anything. I, I, I didn't find anything. It, it, it was almost as if this was really kind of does lean more and more toward that sort of this creature or whatever mm-hmm. is kind of you know its craft was the one that got shot down or crashed or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's trying to figure things out, and then it figures it out and, and takes yeah, off. Yeah, right. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think before we get into theories that we have about... Oh, but know, before we move go on. Ahead. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, no, you're not. But <laughs> but uh,
1: there actually was an account. Uh, I can't remember if it... It was in that following week. I do know that. I I can't remember if it was like the following day or like the day after, but we'll just say week just to be safe. But there was a a sighting of a glowing red light and then a craft going up, like shooting up. So Mm. that's even more fascinating if you look at like this, you know, this sort of concept of like, you know, this thing was shot down by our military possibly, who knows. It was, you know, working on its craft or whatever if... You know, if that's what was happening, and then it fixed it, and
0: then boom, it shot back up. That's man, gosh, yeah. So I, I mean, I can't wait to get into like what our theories are, but I got to tell you that, you know, that is uh, easily becoming um, the one that I'm going to pick. But you know, one thing too, as as I was kind of looking through this to uh, for us to kind of tell this story, mm-hmm. that I noticed was apparently like the Air Force slash National Guard were. I mean, like immediately called out to investigate all the stuff that was going on. Oh yeah, which is a really common occurrence right. back then. And so, like I, you know, even even so far as to like, I think as soon as the Mays and Eugene Lemon like hauled butt out of there, mm-hmm. the next up before the before the sheriff got there, I think the Air Force National Guard, all those folks, like visited that crash site, right. potentially. Which, and maybe they scooped up all the stuff. Yeah. Maybe they got rid of it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, but, you know. Well,
1: like, in saying that also, I think we should add that, I mean, this could be a another men in black situation, which was yeah. highly prevalent in the, uh, or heavily prevalent with the Mothman stuff. Yeah. They were constantly seeing all these, you know, men in black suits, and again, like, Let's break this down. Everybody associates that with the Will Smith, you know, movies, uh, which is based off of. Is that where getting jiggy
0: with it comes from? No, no, no. There was a song in that movie, though. right? Yeah, it was just
1: called Men in Black. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it wasn't quite like they it, they're portrayed in those movies. Mm-hmm. They were usually these sort of bizarre characters who would just kind of show up, and they would gather this evidence, and then nobody would ever see it again, which is exactly what happened here. The The mom, Kathleen, was visited by these two men, in black suits. I'm not sure if uh, the term or the, the sort of idea of the men in black was even sort of in the lexicon at that time, mm-hmm. but I kind of think that, that this is probably what they were because she said that the one was talking to her while the other one was kind of acting erratic And he just sort of disappeared off into the woods. And then when he came back, uh, she said he was covered in head to toe almost with the oil that, uh, you know, that we heard that was like spewing out of the thing, which is, you know, pretty wild. And then they also said that they, uh, the dress that she had, they, you know, scraped off any and all sort of available sort of samples of it. And then... You
0: know, poof. I never heard about it again. Yeah, and one thing that I came up with that I think is is important to mention in this episode, and and now kind of seems like a perfect time, is Project Blue Book. Oh, yeah. Now, prior to you know this podcast, I had never even really heard of what Project Blue Book was. I didn't. I mean, I had heard of it, like you mentioned it a bunch of times, mm-hmm. and so I think it's important for our listeners to kind of maybe just hear about that so and and then let me just provide a little like context before we dive into that so like you got to think this is like the nuclear age right i mean we've got i my dad i remember my dad telling me about like they would do like nuclear bomb drills Mm, mm -hmm. in their classrooms at you know at their elementary school yeah you know like everybody get on your desk like that's gonna help you and so like we've got a nation that's somewhat on edge you know there's there's increased activity of ufos it's funny like now we we talk about this a lot and i'll just like send you articles you send me articles there's a lot of ufo activity Mm -hmm. not right like right now oh yeah man and then also um more confirmation from government which um, you know people who, who say like no no that's that's real and, and that kind of stuff is becoming declassified. It's coming out and all this kind of but stuff. I'm but I'm also anyway.
1: really skeptical of all of these sort of releases by the Pentagon and these sort of confirmations. Mm-hmm. It's just like, w- what's the motivation? Why are you suddenly coming out? I mean... I think it's the slow... I don't know, slow, man. Because I, it's I been, think it's
0: the slow uh, release of information yeah, but, to ultimately get us to the the crazy... Do you remember the dude oh man i think he wrote a book but i think he retired like last year he was head of like the israeli oh yeah that was fascinating whatever mm-hmm. yeah and he talked about like there being an actual like not starfleet but like um like full-on uh organiz- like a an organization that is like multi-planetary like, and um multiple like galaxies mm-hmm. like a galactic federation basically yeah li- yeah and so you know sometimes when I look at these kind of things I'm like well I mean maybe this is like the slow trickle and the, you know like I said I brought all that up to say like in the early 50s oh man there's UFOs around everyone's just panicking like mm-hmm. are this is this the Russians or, or is this like are we about to get nuked what's going on nobody knows there's the, sprinkle in that with the fact that you know we were probably testing new technologies and so people were seeing things that were probably top secret and maybe they weren't you if, there's all this stuff and then that reaction mm-hmm. and then compared to like nowadays we're kind of like i mean i don't know maybe you know, it's just like a different, yeah. it's just a different time. Yeah. So I think, l- let's talk a little bit about what Project Blue Book is. Okay, I'm kind of going off memory here, but Project
1: Blue Book was, I think originally it was uh, it was under the name Project Sign and then Project Grudge, which was like the late 40s, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember if Sign came first or Grudge, but I want to say in 50 51 or 52 i can't remember early 50s yeah it's 50 it's 52 march 52 oh so it's the same year as the uh, yeah okay cool Mm -hmm. um so yeah so 52 Um. there's a famous ufo sort of researcher a guy named jay allen heinick um and then another guy from the air force and i never can remember his name
0: uh captain edward j reppelt Mm rupelt i don't know how to pronounce his last name i apologize
1: captain (laughs) carry on well they they kind of got together and they were working it was kind of a different time also so a lot of this sort of secret stuff was was all sort of projected and it was sort of carried out through the air force Um, and so you you had these guys who their whole job was sort of investigating sort of aerial phenomena and like Uh, just this concept of ufos and that actually makes sense now now knowing that it was in 1952 Mm -hmm. uh, especially because it was known as like the summer of the saucers which is Mm -hmm. fascinating but these guys would like go around and sort of investigate these cases and i wonder if i didn't see anything in the research but i wonder if they did go and investigate uh the Flatwoods. yeah i mean
0: what i what i saw was that Man, I, I don't know if those two guys specifically. Yeah, but I do remember there were some people that were involved with Project Blue Book that did come. Mm. Well, did, here's something that I found interesting too, because like it says, Project Blue Book has had two goals, namely to determine if UFOs were a threat to national security right. and to scientifically analyze UFO-related data. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean, go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, it's pretty dang significant to me, man. That like, I mean, there's that much activity, mm-hmm. whether or not it was alien or whatever, but that there's that much stuff flying around in oh, yeah. the United States that the government created a dang organization mm-hmm. that lasted from it says 1952 to Throughout, I 60. think 1969. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it's like 17 years, right? Yeah, pretty
1: pretty amazing. I mean. And also, I think it's it's cool to to know that, to me, J. Allen Hynek is like the man. He he is the quintessential sort of boots on the ground, you know, early sort of nuts and bolts era UFOs. He's the guy. He's like the investigator guy. And so I know mm-hmm. there was a series that came on, I think, the History Channel. I, I've never really watched. I watched a little bit of the first episode, but... I uh, never really followed up, so I'm sure it's awesome. But from what I know of Jalen Hynek, he, he st- sort of started out as not really being a true believer at all. He was pretty skeptical. Mm-hmm. And then as it kind of went on and on and on, he started realizing, like, well, wait a minute. there There's something to this. Like, there's and, – and a lot – what's really cool, too, is, like, there's all these sort of cases, you know, which is why I'm sure that he – I'm sure that they or somebody else from Project Blue Book – investigated this, you know, the Flatwoods Monster case. But it's cool because throughout the late 40s, throughout the 60s to the 70s, you know, that was sort of like what's considered the nuts and bolts era where, you know, people see these UFOs, they see these sort of, you know, bizarre 50s, like sci-fi things coming out of crafts and the crafts have like rivets and landing gear and like you hear the door open and creak and like, so very kind of like nuts and bolts, physical things, you know, whereas now it's a little different. It's a little more about like consciousness and it, this sort of interdimensionality kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But back then it was like, oh, these are, these are real things that are showing yeah. up and, you know, they're a threat. And so, but it, it's cool because, you know, throughout that time, Heineck and and I guess the Air Force guy – was with him, I don't know if he was with him the whole time, but, I mean, these guys were, like, showing up to every single one of these cases that that are kind of famous, you know, which
0: is, I mean, pretty awesome. This this is something certainly separate from, quote-unquote, men in black, or or would they kind of, just because of the time everybody wore, so I mean, people wore wool suits to baseball games back then, are, are they showing up in suits and people are thinking that they're the men in black, or is there any no. connection there? W- well... Okay. So, Potentially.
1: So some of the theories back in the day, uh, some people did theorize that the men in black were sent from the Air Force. Because like I said, a lot of this sort of more fringe kind of stuff was all the stuff was sort of conducted through the Air Force. And keep in mind, I mean, this none of this was like public knowledge at all. I mean, right. we probably didn't even know about Project Blue Book until you know, someone like Stanton Friedman, who was another giant in the boots-on-the-ground ufology investigation. You know, we... The the public... That wasn't public knowledge probably until way after it had already ended. But, um, mm-hmm. but no... And this is why I want to do, a, a, like, a full-on, maybe even two-episode, you know, sort of deep dive into the Men in Black because, you know, from what sort of a general kind of knowledge on what they are, you know, you, again, you think of this like Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones and, like, you think of that, but, like, in reality, a lot of times they would show up and they would sort of have no sort of sense of, like, social cues. Sometimes, like, they wouldn't have lips and they would have, like, lipstick, like, painted on lips. What? Like, really bizarre stuff. They, like, um... Like, uh there's one account where a lady offers it she had just made uh, you know a bowl of jello for her her family and she offers it to the men in black and like the guy didn't even he doesn't even know what to do with like the spoon and it's just this sort of there's so many cases where and uh there's a guy named Nick redfern who he's an amazing writer but you know, he, he's done a lot of really huge stuff. He even wrote a book that's about like the women in black, which before he brought it up, you know, I'd never heard of that, but yeah, basically there's, there are these guys who show, well, and women who show up dressed and everything about them is sort of out of time, you know, so it kind of works if they're showing up Mm -hmm. nowadays. Uh, it kind of works if, if they were showing up in the late forties, they have these sort of Nondescript yep. black suits, black tie, white shirt. A lot of times they were bald. Some, t- you know, a lot of times they would wear gla- like black glasses inside, which is another sort of weird thing. Uh, they they usually would drive uh, like you know black like these Cadillacs, which again at the time you, more than likely that was probably the sort of government issue automobile. So mm. you know, there's this theory that like, well, these things are actually alien or interdimensional or whatever, and they're just kind of uh, sort of creating the look, the same thing that like what the government would do. Because, and that was another thing, you know, they would show up and they would say, hey, we're from da-da-da-da-da, the Air Force, or this committee, or the, this commission, and we're here to get information. So they would always kind of ask questions and kind of lead off with like coming across like they were a government agency. Uh, Which, which, at the time, again, like we had such a huge trust in our government and a level of like patriotism that if somebody said they were from the government, it's like okay, cool, I'll do whatever I can. How can I help? And so Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's why you have so many reports where if there were any sort of physical evidence, they would just hand it off and be like, sure, here you go, Mm -hmm. you know, and yeah, you'll get it back eventually. And of course.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> this disappears. One thing too yeah. that I should note is the Project Blue Book was was done through Wright Patterson Air Force Base, which is in Ohio, and that's actually the mythology of like the Roswell crash. Apparently, they loaded up all the crash, they they loaded up all the the wreckage and all that stuff in a plane. I think they flew to Houston, and then from Houston that that the airplane flew to Wright Patterson. Then we never i <laughs> never heard about it again, but uh, yeah. there's a lot of sort of bizarre stuff even, you know, if you really look into like ufology and and stuff like that. There's there's a ton of, of stuff, sort of mythology around Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Man. Yeah. Boy, I just I went mean, way, way off the rails. Well,
0: that's okay. I mean, I think uh, it's kind of hard to avoid getting into the, the sort of the government – Organizations that exist to investigate this kind of stuff. I mean, I'm still, like I said earlier, I'm fascinated by the fact that there was so much stuff going on yeah. that we had to have these organizations um, in, in place. Now, one thing that I kind of found too was that, <laughs> so apparently, I think some government officials talked to Kathleen May. Yep. You know, she also did like a TV interview. There's a famous picture of her holding up this really cool drawing of the flatwoods monster and stuff and we'll put that in our mm-hmm. artifacts um post because it's really really cool is, is that uh, the one where it shows like a
1: it shows like a the i guess for scale it shows like a guy
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah yep. which dude this thing is huge yeah it's human <laughs> that's it's terrifying huge, huge uh
0: thing and you know it's like a transformer yeah uh apparently they she received a letter from the pentagon now i tried and i tried and i tried to find this you know i was just hoping men hopefully there'd be like a scan of this online like a pdf i could get but apparently she she received a letter from the pentagon about this event Mm. saying that oh you know we've we've done our investigation essentially it was um hey good news it is uh it was just a uh basically like a failed military training exercise you know the the classic classic thing that that we see training exercise training Mm -hmm. exercise gone wrong and um so i found that to be interesting because then it's kind of like well wow okay so this is a training exercise i'm not sure why we never heard any of that all right well and i'm actually
1: surprised that you know this this is something that is tied into like the project blue book is uh I think when they first started, like I said, you know, Jalen Hynek was a huge, pretty huge skeptic when they first started. And I had heard that he really regretted saying a lot of this stuff later, you know, once he started kind of coming around and like believing that, hey, no, there's more to it. But, you know, he was one of the ones who started giving these uh, the conclusion as swamp gas, uh, Mm -hmm. ball lightning military exercise, weather balloons, you know, it's just this mm-hmm. cheesy thing that just, God, I mean, it's just, it's such a
0: slap in the face
1: uh, to these situations. But hey, I mean, they,
0: yeah, and they used it, though, because people, like you said, had this like, you know, almost like naive mm-hmm. sort of, I'm not saying their respect for the government. It was like a was trust. Naive, but I'm just saying, yeah, there's like, you know, there's like, okay, whatever, they accepted it. And I think that that kind of goes perfectly into the next sort of part that I wanted to talk about, which is, like, what were some of the quote-unquote explanations of what potentially mm. this could have been, if not extraterrestrial or, you know, other dimensional or anything like that? Yeah. Um, one of the first things I read out of the gate was, oh, it was just a meteor mm-hmm. that, uh, which, you know, again, that, that is plausible, but who's to say that a craft can't be what looks like a meteor, a Meteor. also when things enter our atmosphere, even our own astronauts, mm-hmm. you know, they, they burn up in the atmosphere. Their craft does, you know, uh, it's surrounded by, like, that ball of flaming hot plasma as it enters the atmosphere. Yep. But the thing that kind of just, like, made me, I don't know, I don't want to say angry, because, like, we've all been in that spot in our lives, probably, mm-hmm. where we're somewhere strange or, you know, even in the woods, it's maybe in the middle of the night. And you hear a noise, and your mind kind of plays tricks on you, or whatever. But the explanation that people have for this is, oh, it was just like a barn owl Jeez. on a tree branch, right? Unbelievable. And and may, and I think they use that animal because they can, you know, kind of explain the screeching sound that they heard. They can kind of explain, you know, the idea that this thing was like hovering, coming at them, and and you know, I, I understand, like owls in the wild. Are are can be pretty freaky. Oh my family. Yeah. We encountered a bard, that's B-A-R-D mm-hmm. owl, uh, on a camping trip one time that scared us to death, dude. Oh, yeah. This thing started making a noise in the middle of the night while my mom, my dad, my brother, and I were sleeping in this tent, and it sounded like a woman was being like killed. Yeah. Yep. In the middle of the night. And so, like, I get it, but I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I, I will say when we first
1: mo- built our house in this uh, neighborhood that we're in now. Well, and also actually at the beginning of this episode, it was doing it. And I don't know if it's the same owl, but like it like hoots during the day, which hmm. I've always heard that was bad luck. I didn't even know that owls did that during the day, but every single time we record episodes, you can hear it.
0: You know. Now, is it an owl, or do you think it's like one? It, does it sound like this one? like that? Yes. Okay, that is a, uh, it's not an
1: owl. What is it? It is a, uh, oh God, what's it called? Oh, easy, flatwood Mon- Flatwood's Monster.
0: Yeah, it's the Flatwood mm-hmm. Monster. I don't remember what it's called. It's like a, it's not a dove. It's a, uh, it's something else. Mm. It's not an owl. Mm. Keep going. Okay, okay. Well, now i got to look into that. Mm-hmm.
1: But when we first moved in. Into... you like
0: my? how'd you like my sound? <laughs> Did you do it with the bottle? No, no, no. That's, I, I do that with my tongue, man. I curl my tongue. i this... doing it now. Hold on. Whoops! The daisies. That's just the whistle. Sorry about that. Let's move on. Um,
1: no, this thing would fly over our house, like across. It, w- it would fly like across the uh, sort of the the little road, you know, in the neighborhood from one side, and then over our house, off into the woods, because the back of our our house faces like the woods. And dude, we caught it one day, and this thing. I mean, they are massive, like. Huge. I mean, this thing, the wingspan would have, I mean, it was literally probably almost five foot wide. Mm -hmm. I mean, huge. But yeah, I, I just think the idea that, I mean, it's just so condescending to me. It's like, oh, it's just an owl. Mm-hmm. I just I do not get it. Okay, so if it's an owl, then how do you explain like the metal skirt, the the metal skirt, the uh, the oil that was like gushing out of this thing that got all over the woman's dress as mm-hmm. she's running. Uh, the the eyes that like once they shine the flashlight. Well, well, first they said they said I think one of the boys something caught his eye up in what looked like it was sort of up in the trees, which which. Mm-hmm. And again, that would explain like, okay, well, maybe it was an owl up in the tree. But then once they shined the flashlight on it, the eyes lit up and they said it was as bright as the sun almost like, and then this, then they realized like, no, this thing isn't in the tree. This thing is that tall. And it started kind of hovering toward them. Mm. It just, it's just so ridiculous what were some of yeah, the so other
0: obviously we think i mean that's basically it you know like maybe there's some sort of you know when the meteor crashed it caused some sort of like gas or something to be released from the dirt that caused their you know i mean there's all the other stuff that goes along with mm-hmm. it like the the sickness that lasted weeks and you know all these kind of things that don't really yeah you know and then well now i kind of want to talk about like well obviously tyler and i both think that the, that theory that it was just an owl is just uh, yes. a bunch yeah a bunch of who whatever you want to call it hooey. Malarkey. but you know one of the things about this story too that i thought of kind of after the fact like if you remove the you know obviously it's it's occurring in a high stress situation these folks are going to be terrified i would have been terrified i think listener you probably i think you would have been terrified oh yeah but i remember when we first talked about sam the sand down oh my ghost god clown. i'm so glad you said this you know i don't know if you remember but my wife ann had an interesting take on it when she heard the story whenever mm. i you know told it this to sort of sympathetic her, yeah like like more of like a sympathetic thing and so when i you know thinking like this is just sure it's a creature from who knows where mm-hmm. it's trying to communicate it's not trying to harm these people i mean really as evidenced by nobody got harmed i mean they had sickness and stuff, but that might not have been, you know. I mean, their fault. I mean, the the creature's fault. Mm-hmm. If if you're by an exhaust, you know, you're not going to feel too great anyway. And so, like, think about it in those terms. And this thing's like, you know, maybe trying to get help from these people. It it hovers over to them, and you know, maybe it's got like a, you know, like an injury or something, and that's what the stuff is that's kind of bleeding onto like the oil. Um, yeah, stuff, man, yeah. and. And so, like, if you think about it, and through that light, it's kind of like, oh man, you kind of feel sorry for this creature. Here it is. It's like its ships crashed. Doesn't know how it's gonna. You know, it's just terrified because I'm sure it thinks of it's just gonna get hurt by these people who are gonna be scared of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's just trying to like figure things out. Um, but yeah, I mean, it also reminds me in a way, kind of that same sort of metallic, otherworldly, other-dimensional kind of being. Mm-hmm kind of like Sam. Uh, you know, this is this Sam's mother. I mean, does he got a scared on? I mean, I don't know. Well, dude, I'm so glad you brought that up. You know, I think we've said this before, but like, you know, Jacques
1: Vallée created this, this sort of theory of like, uh, that's called the interdimensional hypothesis where, you know, there's this idea that there's these beings that aren't really coming from Mars. They're not really coming elsewhere. They're just coming from a different dimension. And so he calls them ultra terrestrials. And, like to me th- there was there's so many sort of points about this story that reminded me of Sam, like th- just the bizarre, you know, the weird like dress, the that was sort of like an engine, the hovering the the tiny little little you know three fingered like arms and and hands the the weird like spade helmet and like the glowing eyes like there's there's just so many things about this that that are just totally sort of unexplainable, just like, you know, Sam the Sandown Clown. Mm -hmm. Speaking of also, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that uh, the guys over at uh, BCC, Bigfoot Collectors Club, I was so psyched to see that they finally did an episode on Sam the Sandown Clown, because that was the story that I had ran across it, and I was so excited because it was something that we had never heard of. And this was before we even started our podcast. And Woody and I both were like, man, this is insane. Uh mm-hmm. which eventually led to uh that was w- that story was one of the reasons that we decided to start a podcast cuz we just had mm-hmm. to go into it. Uh but I immediately sent this to the guys at uh BCC or I sent it to Michael and uh like almost 2 years ago, 2 years ago I guess now. Mm-hmm. Uh so it was really good to see that they finally tackled it and uh yeah, I think they did a great job. Yeah, man, I think they uh they did awesome, um, but yeah, I, I think there's definitely elements of of both of those stories that are just
0: in a way kind of similar, right? I mean yeah, yeah and and like more and more that we do these and the the more that we kind of dig in and and uh, kind of get all these details, the more and more I'm starting to lean. And I remember when we first started this podcast, I was like, eh, no, I don't know about that sort of interdimensional stuff. Mm-hmm. But, man, I mean, you know, it's one of those explanations that kind of, to me, makes the most sense. I think let's talk a little bit about... We to get into, like, theories? Yeah, let's talk a little bit about, like, what you think. I mean, I... Go ahead. You, you well, kick it off. I was going to say, like, one of the things as we were, like, kind of... As I was researching about this and stuff that kind of stood out to me was there's this really great documentary mm-hmm. uh, that you can watch. It's streaming on Amazon Prime right oh, now. Oh, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's called Small Town think, Monsters. Uh,
0: well, it's in the Small Town Monsters. Uh, yeah. I think it's called The Flatwoods Monster, A Legacy of Fear. Yeah. And uh, this guy that does these uh, Small Town Monsters Seth, Seth Breedlove. Yep. Seth Breedlove. He's the director. hmm he did this documentary and what the most intriguing part about it really is that he interviews Ed May and Fred May. Yeah, And so you get to see these, these gentlemen, uh, you know, they're older guys now, obviously. And they kind of talk a little bit about what they think about it. And, you know, in a way it's, it's, it's a very intriguing documentary because, you know, they, they do talk a little bit about, man, you know, I wish, um, uh, I kind of wish this never would have happened because, you know, they weren't, they didn't really like the the attention that it brought to their family Oh, yeah in especially on the negative side of things mm-hmm. um a lot of you know obviously some folks would just you know be rude to them in a way kind of ostracized and you know so that's that's kind of sad which is which is pretty common on like right well I mean hundred percent of these cases one of the things that was kind of intriguing to me is both of the brothers basically said look i I think now i that what we saw that night was just some sort of like metallic robot type thing. They didn't really make it sound like they believed it to be like an organic creature, mm. but more of like this robotic thing. One of the brothers said that he really thought like maybe it was sort of like a sentry, mm, uh, yeah. almost like a, you know, sentinel just standing guard, protecting like something. Right, because it was essentially where they saw this creature and where the crash site was, it was essentially blocking their path to where the oh. crash was. And so they think maybe this thing was, you know, even if it was a robot or whatever, it was their standing guard mm-hmm. to keep them from going to the crash. So perhaps this being really was there protecting something, you know, much more um, fragile wow. in that craft, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I thought, man, that is that's uh, wow. That's pretty. That's pretty interesting. Yeah.
1: My kind of theory was, I do like that. I like the idea that there's like it's like a sentry sort of protecting something, you know. And if you look at it as okay, there was a sighting of this glowing red object that was kind of like bouncing in the sky. They, the you know, that's how they sort of phrase it. Like it looked like it was bouncing. So, what if this thing did crash on? The the 12th, September 12th, and then, you know, you see, you know, may, maybe again, I don't know when the date was for this, but like say the sighting of the bouncing thing happened uh, later that night or even earlier the next night. And what it was doing was it was like taking off but because it was bouncing. Maybe it crashed again 20 miles away. And that's when those the other little family, their car went dead and they saw it. Mm. again um one thing that i thought is the idea that nobody ever really saw the actual craft so mm-hmm. you know and again if you if you're looking at it and uh, while adding the the second story of the, of the next night where you know it has the helmet off and it's like sort of this reptilian looking creature maybe the craft was like basically this sort of iron man armor mm-hmm. um mm-hmm you know, because it was able to hover and maybe that was the craft. It crashed and its armor mm-hmm. was was damaged or, or whatever. Or You know, originally, I think my thought was, you know, and with me, it's kind of like all things lead to interdimensional and all that. And maybe it did. I mean, maybe yeah. all these sightings, these UFO sightings around the area, maybe that was something totally different. And maybe this did mm-hmm. just sort of phase into our reality or our dimension, but... The more and more you hear about it, the more this... It does feel kind of like a nuts and bolts sort of thing.
0: Mm-hmm. Which, I
1: mean, it could still be interdimensional, but I sure. I do believe that there was like a suit. I think it was like sort of a corporeal, you know, materialistic sort of uh, situation. I think it was it was really there. It wasn't just sort of this floating, like glowing kind of thing. I think it was a real whatever it was. a Physical. Yeah, it was like a physical being in like some sort of suit, which is wild. Yeah, for sure. So do you think that it was, do you think it was like interdimensional or do you think it was sort of the classic space? I don't know. Space I idea? don't know. Because,
0: I mean, like, in, in so many different ways, I like the idea of both. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, like, I love the idea. Well, I say I love. I mean, obviously, whenever we think of other beings visiting our planet, we always think of them doing so in some sort of, like, malicious, with malicious intent, right. you know. And I don't really like to think about that, uh, you know. You know, I, I I think you and I have talked about this. I'm not sure if we've mentioned it on the show, but I, I'm not a huge fan of, especially now as like a dad, thinking of anything that is just going to, like, come and destroy and I have zero control over, <laughs> yeah. you know, at least fighting back. It's just not fun. Yeah. But, so I like to think of it being almost more like a, you know, an observational type thing. Mm-hmm. Whatever, and then at the same time, I like the idea of of, or it's equally entertaining to me the idea of multi dimensional travel and, and different creatures from different dimensions yeah. and stuff. I think my for me, believe it or not, my it, I'm, it's easier for me to wrap my head around it being from outer space, like a classic sort of because I can almost like, you know, like I can wrap my head around the fact that the physics exist for that to occur in terms of space travel mm-hmm. and, you know, as our technology is getting better and better and better, it's just easier for me to digest mentally. Mm-hmm. So, And it kind of supports I think, the, you know, the idea
1: of our military, our jets, you know, mm-hmm. maybe it's in some sort of dogfight
0: and that's how it yeah. was. Or just like, I mean, especially back then, dude, like... <sighs> I bet the first reaction from the air force oh, isn't yeah. like, "Hey, we're we're trying to hail them on the comm system." No, no, no. They're just like, "We don't know what it, it is. Shoot it down. Shoot it down." Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Dude. Yeah. But even even if it wasn't, even if it was a craft from another dimension, same thing. I mean, the military would just mm-hmm. be like, "I don't know. Shoot it down." Yeah. You know, which would also, uh, I mean, it, you know,
1: this kind of supports just the regular air air force guys
0: coming out it's like how did they know you know who told them and how quickly they were like organized right like in that documentary talked about like we're talking not just like three or four people from the national guard we're talking like i think close to like 100 troops yeah it was like 60 to 100 troops yeah Mm -hmm. man obviously they thought something weird was going on and it wasn't you know it wasn't us yeah so all in all man it's super interesting what's cool is you know gosh man west virginia especially after my recent road trip west virginia isn't that far from us and so i'm i'm definitely putting a pin in us making a road trip oh, man. out to flatwoods I would love and checking it out um ourselves you know like on location that would just be that would be incredible yeah. and I, I gotta say man just the creature itself and maybe it's just because we just did this i have a feeling like i'm gonna like i'm gonna all of these weird things are going to start becoming my quote-unquote favorite. But right now, man, Flatwoods is pretty close to the top. I mean, I think I, uh, I'm i into this Flatwoods guy, man. He's pretty cool. Yeah,
1: he's amazing. We haven't reached out yet, but there's a – a um, they make these pins. There's this company called Fauna Obscura Shop on Etsy. Uh, and like I said, we haven't reached out yet, but I think we're going to try to figure out maybe a way to do like a giveaway because they have this pin of the Flatwoods monster that just says, going to the woods is going home. And man, it's cool. They just they absolutely yeah, really stuff. awesome. Yeah, but yeah, no, I love it too, man. I think I've always loved the story, but doing this sort of deep dive for the episode, um, you know, I'd never heard of the. I always thought it was just the one kind of account. I didn't realize that it was during the the summer of saucers era. You know, I'd never heard of the, the sort of the encounter that happened the following night with that mm-hmm. family on the road. So. It's really cool,
0: and, I mean, man, what a time to be alive. Right? Yeah. And I think, like we kind of mentioned earlier, UFO activity is increasing and increasing and increasing all around us. Mm-hmm. So I think the important thing, everybody, keep your eyes up. Yep. Take a look. Go outside. Now, let me ask you this real quick. Give it to me, too. Let's cheer. say you see something, and I think this is the – God bless. I keep on kicking my, my mics in here. If – a fireball flew over your head Mm. you know you're outside you're hanging out with your family maybe you're you know doing a little fire pit whatever Mm -hmm. fireball just just comes you know just flying overhead and you see it crash are you going to investigate or are you like everybody get inside (laughs) well first i'm going to tell everybody else to go
1: inside and i'm definitely going to investigate Mm -hmm. however i don't know that i would get out of the car yeah, right. You know, I don't like I don't love the idea of the Travis Walton situation of getting out and then being just like sucked up into a craft or Yikes. you know, anything like that. But I'm definitely gonna go
0: to try to Well, let's assume that you can't drive to the site. You have to walk there. Mm. It's in the woods. Man, that's You going to check it out? Like I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I mean, in, I would in, like in, to say yes. I feel like I have pretty good discernment, so I feel like I could beat up an alien, you know?
1: <laughs> well, no, I mean I've I've you know sometimes you you just get like the vibe that like you know there are just some nights where you'll walk outside and there's just a vibe that like something's kind of off, or there's yeah. other nights where y- you feel fine and you could walk around and and all that, but is it bad or good that I always have that vibe? Quick answer that it's that it's like <laughs> that I'm just like,
0: oh gosh, something oh was- scary, yeah, yeah
1: yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would like
0: to say i would I would go try to check it out, yeah, yeah. definitely probably have a well, gun. I would definitely let you. Um, (laughs) I think this is a perfect time to kind of wrap it up. I know we this is such an intriguing story. I I encourage everybody to go check out that documentary for sure. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of podcasts that have talked about this um, story before, but the documentary itself I think does a really good job of kind of putting the visual obviously behind it, but also gives you that chance to kind of see Fred and Ed May and, and talk about it. And then there's some like local folks that live in Flatwoods now that kind of give some more kind of context and stuff. And so I think it, it's a very, very well done. Um, so I encourage everybody to kind of, you know, dive into that and, and check out Flatwoods Monster. And as always, kind of just let us know what you think about yeah. it, you know? Do you think it could have been an owl? I've seen a, a drawing uh, that, you know, they kind of diagram how the owl could have looked like, you know, let us know what you think. I've never seen a 10 foot tall owl, but you know, but it, the, the drawing that I saw had the owl perched on a branch mm-hmm. and then underneath it, there was like some shrub, uh, some shrubbery, mm-hmm. I guess you could call it. And again, this is just a depiction. They don't have a picture. Right? They don't gas. have, you know, they don't have the the iPhone out trying to take a picture in the middle of all that swamp gas. <laughs> now swamp gas is a, is a nickname we gave a friend in, in high school who, uh, we always sat in the back of the soccer bus and, You know, anyway, week after week, we say it every single time, but we're never going to stop saying it. Just how grateful we are that we have people that listen to our show, Mm. people that interact with us uh, every day uh, to talk about some of the things that, you know, they found things that they think we'd be interested in. And just to kind of talk about the things that we discuss on this podcast. Yeah. So like we say all the time, thank you guys so, so much, because not only does it make our day. But it also just really kind of solidifies our reason for doing this podcast. Now, Tyler, where is the best place for people to interact with us? Well,
1: most of the time we're over on Instagram. So feel free to hit us up there. Mm -hmm. You can shoot us DMs. Feel free to comment. There's always like a lot of good back and forth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like what he said, if you have a spooky story or an encounter or you've seen the Flatwoods monster yourself or a 10-foot-tall uh, Bardo. Feel free to send us a more long form <laughs> uh, accounts or stories, I guess, over to our email at thatwouldberadpod at com. Yeah, like what he said, you know, we we kind of started this podcast, you know, we understand that it's, it's a pretty broad podcast. We talk about paranormal one week, the Ewoks the next week, toys from the 80s one week, the D&D the next. And so we understand that it's pretty broad and it's hard to kind of put your finger on like what we're all about, but it just so happens we we're, we love all that stuff equally. And we knew when we created the podcast that surely there's more people out there that are like us that have that same kind of '80s nostalgia and love for for these things. Not all of them, but maybe one or two here and there. And so, you know, we do we we. We're so happy and we're so, uh, it really kind of makes us feel fulfilled for what we're doing when uh, you guys do hit us up or give us suggestions of, hey, you guys should cover this or, hey, have you heard about this? That's just really, really cool to us and it, it really means a lot. So uh, yeah, we love you, we appreciate you, and as always, be rad. Well, that's the way it goes.